Hello and welcome to episode three of Kidlit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. Kidlit These Days is your Kidlit connoisseurs pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Karina Yan Glazer, alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on April 10th, 2019. Hey, Matthew. Hi, Karina. So I got a very exciting package yesterday. Um, of course, it had a book in it, and it is a book called Stargazing by Jen Wang. She is the author of The Prince and the Dressmaker, and I believe I you are say, a big fan of her. Is it a comic? It's a graphic novel for middle grade. Um, it's a middle grade graphic novel. It's coming out September 10th. And of course, I ripped open the package right away and read it. And it's really, it's great. It's really awesome. I'm very excited oh, for this. Karina, I'm out. so jealous. Nice. I'm, I'm glad. Um, can you can you give it like, just a little <laughs> taste of what? Well, I know nothing about this book other than I was obsessed with The Prince and the Dressmaker. Oh, yeah. Does this so one have good. similar themes or go okay, totally so different gonna- direction? Yeah, so I will send you this book. Um, but yes, yeah, so the this book is about um, an Asian American girl, and she is um, she gets a new neighbor, na- and the protagonist's name is Christine, and a neighbor moves in, and her name is Moon, and. Basically, the story is about how Christine becomes friends with Moon and sort of observes how um, Moon is so different from her, even though she's also Asian. And it's it's really cool because you don't see a lot of Asian, um, like a book full of Asian characters, especially in graphic novels. So I'm very excited to see this and... It's just really well done. It's really interesting. And I think fans of graphic novels will be very excited about it. I am a fan of graphic novels, and I am already very excited about it. Yes, I will pass (laughs) it on to you. Is this the summary of your week that you've had, like, lots of good book stuff in your life? Oh, yeah. Don't we have the best jobs? (laughs) I just feel like (laughs) surrounded by books all the time and to talk about them. And it's just awesome. I'm not going to lie. This is also, we're recording the week before spring break. So (laughs) I'm a little giddy. Do you have a stack of books you want to get through? Oh my word! All all the books that I can finally read during the daytime because when I try to read at night, I um I have you know, I'm very hopeful about how much I'm going to read, but ultimately <laughs> I think a page or two in and uh, the melatonin kicks in and I just fall asleep. <laughs> the book I'm working through right now, which I will burn through over the break, but I've been just reading piece by piece now. <clears throat> it's called This Place: 150 Years Retold. It's not out yet. It comes out I think in May. Um, it's from High Water Press, and this is a this is a uh, a graphic novel anthology mm-hmm. um, with a forward written by Alicia Elliott. It's the history of Canada from through Indigenous stories. Oh and it, wow! I, I'm really excited to get also to the last chapter because the last um, story is uh, Indigenous futurism. So I'm super excited about that. And it's got a lot of names that that I know. Um, authors and um, cartoonists that I know 
uh, like David A. Robertson and Jen Storm and Richard Van Camp. There's there's just names that, as I was browsing through, I got really excited knowing um, the the individuals telling these stories and telling lesser known historical stories mm-hmm. um, from from Canada. And so, is this um, published by Groundwood? It's um, because Groundwood it's high does- water. Oh, okay. It's high water, but it's high water is like the, the, I mean, this is, um, what are the other companies under high water? I can't remember right now. Sorry. Inhabit media, I think is under high water. There's a couple under the, under them. Yeah. Because Groundwood also publishes a lot of indigenous Canadian creators. And I have learned a lot from receiving their books and have been very impressed by the quality of the books and the stories that they share. Well, and I've I've learned too that the reason why they have such um, a, a renaissance of of children's literature for Indigenous stories uh, is because of the reclamation acts going on in Canada to help restore and and preserve these Indigenous stories. Not something we're going through in America right now, but hopefully something that we will get to. I know we have a lot of First Nation individuals in our country. And I know we have many authors and illustrators. We just need to get their books published and get them, um, you know, distributed so more of us find out about them. But this comic, I read the first two stories so far, and they are awesome. I read about a, a woman who um, was whipping this guy who was saying derogatory things about um, about indigenous uh, women and she was sort of known. Her name's Annie, and she was known as this like really tough, um, won't take anything from from men kind of individual. Hmm. Just like a really awesome um, individual to follow, and that was the the starting story of the book. So I was like, oh, you have set the tone for an amazing comic collection. Yeah, so yeah, I'm a little great. I'm a little giddy about it. I, I yeah, clearly I can can't tell. even. Can't even articulate about it yet. I'm just like, I want to read my comics. <laughs> I mean, this is between struggling with the allergies though, because that is also that we have spring break, we have comics, we have allergies. So my yeah. my you can hear it in my voice, but um, but it'll be really nice to just have the time set aside to be with family, to read a bunch of comics, and you know, to get outside a little bit, not be inside the school building all day long, but actually mm-hmm. get out. <laughs> amid the allergens <laughs> yeah <laughs> the I outside hope, i hope you have a great spring break sounds well, awesome thank you so why don't we get to our first sponsor this episode of kid lit these days is sponsored by libro fm libro fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore you can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Quite frankly, it's the only way I get through middle grade and YA is by listening to audiobooks and my commute and as I'm mowing the lawn and washing the dishes and all the things. Uh, Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog or just relaxing at home, all those things. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out our recommendations 
and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of Book Riot can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. And as a bonus, sign up now and get five free audiobooks delivered to you on Bookstore Day, a one-day national party that takes place at bookstores across the country on Saturday, April 27th. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Yay. Yay. I've used Libro.fm. I... I love supporting my indies. We don't have a lot of um, super close indie bookstores where I live. I have to drive into Baltimore to go. So most often I just um, am ordering through um, indie bookstore websites. And this, to be able to get audiobooks, uh, is is fantastic. So, yay. Yeah. <laughs> yay. I'm very excited about Bookstore Day, too. <laughs> I mean, right? Really awesome. <laughs> like you said at the top of the podcast, all the books. Just yes. mention the books. That's 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 my keyword today. <laughs> yes. Well, perfect. Um, okay. Well, let's dive into today's episode, which is all about the hijab. And this episode, we have been thinking about this for a while. And obviously, there's always... Um, events that are coming up that make us think more about um, our our friends who are Muslim. And um, there's always all sorts of articles and events, both um, here in the United States and internationally, that make us think about um, the Muslim faith and about the hijab. So there was this one article that I found really interesting it was published by the New York Times on April 2nd, and it was about um, an elementary school teacher, Maha Kassef, and she lives in Montreal, and she is a teacher, but she aspires to become a principal. And in addition to being a teacher, she also wears a hijab. And in Montreal, there's a proposed bill in Quebec that would bar public school principals and other public employees from wearing religious symbols. And I found that really interesting because um, it also mentioned that people who already wore religious symbols, such as a hijab or a skull cap or a cross, would be grandfathered into the law so they could continue wearing religious symbols, but they wouldn't be able to be promoted um, if they hold a government job, which I thought was sort of strange that they would have that uh, at all, like the law at all, but then to have that grandfathered clause. And in addition, they were also saying that the government wouldn't be able to hire outside contractors such as lawyers who wore religious symbols. So that was something that I found sort of strange and it just got me thinking more about people who do wear hijab and um, sort of those restrictions when they are expressing a symbol of their faith. This was a head scratcher for me. It felt discriminatory. And I'm sure that the protesters of this proposed bill will will say similarly but um i don't think i could i could i could figure out what the harm was of 
declaring your religion in a space like that. I understand the separation of religion from school, but but you being a person of faith doesn't doesn't impact you know your, your ability, ability to, to teach your or your ability to to administrate or or yeah, it just this was a confusing one for me. Uh, I wonder what the impetus was behind this. There must be some thing that happened that caused these individuals to propose this bill. But I, I, I hope that um, the voices can be heard to to help inform the right decision for this, um, and and to hope whatever that right decision is uh, that they would be able to communicate. Why? Because it seems like something that that there there's hurt involved, one side or the other, and um, and being able to to recognize people in in that space, I think, will be important not just for Quebec but also for for other people that might be choosing to do something similar where we are. Right. Yeah. We on the flip side, I had an article that um, was just shared with me this week that um, middle grade author Hannah Kahn wrote uh, for the Washington Post. Uh, Hannah um, has a wonderful middle grade novel called Amina's Voice, among mm-hmm. other books, but this came out on April 9th. And in the article, the article is called Parents, We Need to Teach Our Children About the Dangers of Hate-Laced Speech Against Muslims. And in the article, Hannah talks about how she was called a name in school. And at first it didn't seem like such a bad name to be called Indira Gandhi because that was the former female prime minister of India. Um, But she goes on to say that another kid in class was uh, also nicknamed and that um, at the time of her reflection, she was more offended that the other child was, was nicknamed Rajiv Gandhi, which would make that child Henna's son, and so that was great <laughs> right. for her. It, I think gives you a really good glimpse of of what our young children might be reacting to. Might not be on the surface what we as adults would assume, but mm-hmm. it's something that clearly she internalized throughout life and was reflecting back on it. And as she raised her own children, was wondering what things are being told to them. And she talks. I really admired in here that she talks about how she posed these really straightforward and sometimes annoying to her children questions. Like, do you wish you had a different name or has anyone said anything mean to you? But the kids would always just dismiss her concerns. And then she found out that locally there, um, there were these microaggressions. How I'm everywhere. There's these microaggressions, but she found out at a local high school that um, there were these microaggressions uh, occurring between a, a tween and a hijab uh, who was born and raised in America and and some other individuals, including things like complimenting her English and mm-hmm. um, uh, asking if she was tired of people asking where she was from, things like that, these microaggressions, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it occurred to her then to ask that of her children and her children just sort of said, well, yeah, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So this notion of of these microaggressions happening regularly and how we talk to our children about it so that they can react more purposefully and understand that that it's unacceptable for people to speak statements that are anti-black, anti-Semitic, anti-LGBTQ, anti-Muslim. Any any uh, speech against any group like that is not appropriate. And so much of this, I feel, as we were leading into this conversation, 
uh, I feel like is just rooted in ignorance. And Mm -hmm. that ignorance as a child is something that, you know, those kids are trying to figure out what's going on in their world, right? And, And we as parents can model for them that it's okay to ask questions. But I'll tell you straight up, when we were leading into this, I remember as a child that I never asked what a hijab was. Um, mm-hmm. If I saw a woman wearing a headscarf um, or a, an individual that looked different from me, that was not something I asked um, because I feel like I was raised to be quote unquote better than that. Like, oh, it's rude to think things like that. We don't ever ask that. But I don't think, I, I don't recall from childhood ever ever getting the why. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I think I was really glad that Hannah's article came out yesterday because I thought it fit in perfectly with what we wanted to talk about today. At the very end of her article, she says, we owe it to all of our kids to take a stand and take the time to talk to our children, students, friends, and colleagues about this issue. Each of us must do our part to actively reject hateful words and phrases in every form at every age starting now. And I thought that tied in um, really well with us having this conversation about the hijab. Because I think for those of us who don't wear a hijab or who are not regularly exposed to those who identify with Muslim identity or faith, um, we might have some questions about the hijab, like why some people wear them, why other people don't. Um, is there a difference between a headscarf and a hijab? Um What age do women typically begin wearing the hijab? Any symbolism behind it? So I think, you know, for for all of us to have open conversations about this is helpful because I think that it helps, especially those of us who work with children or write for children, to to be able to have open conversations. So it's not this thing that's shrouded in secrecy or misunderstanding that we can really um, open up understanding about it by talking about it. So we thought we would do that in this episode. And we invited children's book author, Sadia Faruqi, and she is going to talk a little bit about her experience wearing hijab. She is the author of a really lovely chapter book series called um, Meet Yasmin. That's the first one, and there's a few more after that. And let me tell you a little bit about Sadia. She is a Pakistani-American author, essayist, and interfaith activist. She writes the children's early reader series, Yasmin, published by Capstone, as well as other books for children. She has also written Brick Walls, Tales of Hope and Courage from Pakistan, which is a short story collection for adults and teens. As part of her activism, Sadia trains various audiences, including faith groups and law enforcement, on topics pertaining to Islam. She has been featured in Oprah Magazine in 2017 as a woman making a difference in her community. She is editor-in-chief of Blue Minaret, a magazine for Muslim art, poetry, and prose. She resides in Houston, Texas with her husband and children. Here's Sadia. So hello, my name is Sadia Faruqi, and I am a children's author. Uh, My series Yasmin came out from Capstone last year, and I am very excited to be here today. 
Welcome to Kidlit These Days. I'm so excited that you're here, Sadia, and I'm really grateful that you're here to help all of us talk about the hijab and talk about how yeah. um, really what we're talking about on the show is just demystifying. I was telling you uh, off recording that as a child, I remember that this was not questions about other people in general was not really something that I feel like I was allowed to have. I was sort of um, a disrespectful thing to ask someone about being different from me. I'm grateful that we are now at a time in, in our culture and in just where our country is going that, that we are not only having these conversations, but we're trying to lean into our points of ignorance so that we can learn and understand people better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's uh, very much a children's thing also to be curious. I uh, I do a lot of trainings with adults and I've had adults come up to me and share that they are the same way, never ask people questions. But when you meet children, they are just so curious and they want to know. And I love that because um, who cares if it's polite or not? You know, if you're saying something in a respectful way, that's good enough for me. Well, I want to ask you questions as a child, uh, but <laughs> also as a curious adult, and and because I have the great pleasure of having you on recording. So, Sadia, yeah. if I could ask, when did you start wearing a hijab? So, um, I first of all, I you know I was thinking about um, what we would talk about today, and before I answer, I would like to remind you know, your listeners, that when we talk about here in the U.S. or or people who are not very familiar with Muslims, hijab is kind of become synonymous with the scarf that women wear on their head. But it's really not. Hijab is a very loose, like a concept. So it's it's your behavior. It's how you act. It's what you do. um, And also how you dress. So it's not just a scarf. But now we've become so used to just saying hijab interchangeably with scarf so we're gonna go with that but I do want people to remember that it's not only when you ask me about my hijab I'm not only thinking of the fabric on my head I'm also thinking about how I talk to people how I behave how I go out in public or anything like that so it's, it's a very broad like philosophical thing I like um, that thanks for the knowledge yeah, I appreciate yeah, that it, um you know and uh I did not wear it when I was younger. Um, I don't have anybody in my family who wears it and never did. Um, I started experimenting it in my college days, but my family was very against it. And so I kind of had to be a more more religious person who hid things. And I would like wear it outside and then make sure that my parents never saw me because it was uh, they weren't really approving um, because they weren't that religious like I like I was becoming more and more. But I really started wearing it seriously in, I want to say my late 20s, early 30s when I came to the U.S., much later after I came to the U.S. So um, it hasn't been that long. It hasn't been that long. And it's really fascinating to hear this notion of, of having a deeper relationship with your faith than your family did. And that is what drove you in this way to be different from, but also sort of want to keep that from your family so that you didn't come under the criticism of your family. Yeah. And I think that that's something that is a a big misconception about people who are not Muslim. They just think, you know, although we see that in every religious community, you will be more or differently 
religious than your family, and that's perfectly normal. And so it is with Muslims, you know, uh, as you grow older, you ha- you tend to have a often different relationship with God as other people around you. So there's nothing unusual about that. But people are kind of shocked when I tell them that, you know, my mom, my sisters, nobody else wore it, they still don't. So it's, it's kind of me, um, you know, uh, the only one. And oftentimes they kind of whisper about me behind my back, which I know. <laughs> so if they're listening, I know. <laughs> um, and that's okay. That's this, you know, this is my personal choice that I, I chose to dress this way as a way to um, honor God. I love that. <laughs> I can feel <laughs> your, your pride in your faith. That's something I really yeah. respect about you, and I respect about people of faith. That that mm-hmm. that is something that um, is part of what defines you and your decisions. And so I I like knowing that about you, Sadia. Yeah. When you are encountering children through your Skype mm-hmm. visits, through your author visits, I know you do a lot of skyping. We've talked about that already. But what has been your experience with encountering those children as you're wearing your hijab, or as they're encountering yeah. you as Muslim? That's very interesting because I had a question today. I was at a school and um, the question was different than it usually is. The usual question I get, which is very common from kids, is why do you wear a scarf? They Most kids don't even know the correct term, um, which I just explained to you is probably not the correct term. But they will <laughs> just say, why do you wear a scarf or why do you cover um Today was a bit different. This girl in second grade, she asked me, why do people in your country have to wear the scarf? So I was like, okay, we are going to unpack this statement because it is wrong in so many fronts. But, you know, uh, I didn't say it like that. I was very nice and and (laughs) tried to explain, you know, why uh, a lot of those were misconceptions and things that she might have heard. But um, the, the thing is that when I talk to kids, I honestly, I feel a bit uncomfortable because I don't even know how much I should talk. You know, I just have this idea that I shouldn't be talking a lot about religion in a public school. I don't want anyone to get mad at me or anyone to go home and tell their parents. And then they're like, well, she was preaching. So I'm like, let's keep it very simple. And if you're still interested, you can have your teacher look it up for you or something like that. Also, as a concept, it's hard to explain to younger kids because the hijab is so is tied with, you know, I mean, you would technically start wearing it once you um, hit puberty or adolescence or you were. It, it's, it's very much related to um, your a person's relationship um, with gender and things like that. And so how do you explain that to a kid in kindergarten or first grade? So it's kind of, it's hard. I just try to be very simple and say, this is how some women dress, but they don't have to. And it's just, you know, it's, um, it's to just be modest. And then a lot of kids don't know what modest actually means. So I try to stay away from that, honestly, which now I'm thinking after talking with you that maybe I shouldn't stay away (laughs) because kids have questions. Well, I wonder when these kids are asking you questions, inevitably there's adults with them. I wonder if if encountering those adults is any different or if they engage alongside the children or maybe when you're in front of a group of librarians, I wonder if they uh, engage with you a- any differently. I think that most teachers and librarians do have a lot of good knowledge Uh, They're always waiting for me to answer that because I see a lot of nods and I see a lot of expectant (laughs) faces. So I feel like sometimes they also don't know exactly how to answer, 
you know, if it was an adult audience, because I drew trainings, like I said, with adults as well, um, about religion and cultural sensitivity, you know, I would go into talking about, you know, um, why I wear this and what is the significance, but it's so hard to do in very kid simple language. Um, but you know, like I said, today, this girl, um, she was so sweet. She asked me, we were talking about Pakistan uh, because I always share, you know, where I came from and how I came to be an immigrant. And then she asked me, why do women have to wear this? And I was like, you know, that's probably something you might have heard because I didn't share it in my presentation, but I didn't know anyone who wear, wore it. Um, and she was very surprised. So I think that the problem also is that kids hear a lot of stuff from different adults in their lives, and then they don't know how to figure out who's telling them the right information or the wrong information. So um, definitely I can at least be a resource as far as that's concerned. And you can be one other voice telling them these things as they gather all of the voices they have heard and, and make that understanding for themselves. Yeah. 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 It's um, as a person, I don't feel comfortable ever talking about this topic because you know it's my dress it's not something that I I mean who wants to talk about what they wear anyway all the time you know um and but it's it's just that I am in that position and have been for a long time where I am talking about Islam a lot just in the in terms of educating people and and um helping people understand and get more knowledge. So I guess I don't have anyone to blame but myself. (laughs) Well, we also recognize that there will be people that will hear this conversation that may have also had these questions and have never had the opportunity to ask. And so I'm grateful that you are able to ask these questions. I have one that um, I have have been encountering in a lot of the books we're talking about on this episode. Um, So I just thought I would ask you if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. And that's just when, when most often are you wearing your hijab, your scarf? And, and in contrast, when are you not wearing it? Is it confined to being in the house or out from or, or something different? It, you know, it would be, it would, it would differ from person to person, probably depending on how religiously like orthodox or strict they were. But the general rule of thumb is that the hijab is there as um, kind of like a physical, almost, you know, just like a representation or a, a modesty in front of the opposite gender. So if I am outside for myself, I don't wear it. Of course, I don't wear it with my family. You wouldn't know Muslim woman does um, within their family or their house. But if I went outside and I was in a, say, all female gathering, I wouldn't need to wear my hijab. So, uh, but but a lot of people, you know, kind of, um, may not do that. Like, I think for me, especially if I have a scarf on and I've had it on for a significant period of my, you don't want to know how my hair looks once it's off. Cause it's <laughs> not very nice. It's messy. And after that, I don't want to take it off because then, you know, I'm like, okay, now I need a brush. Now I need to comb my hair. So for me and for most women, probably it's just easier to let it stay on regardless. And you just go home at the end of the day and you take it off. But technically, you only need to wear it um, if there are men that you don't know around. So if it's like my family, you know, my someone comes to my house, I, I'm still in my house. I don't need to wear it. 
Um, you might have different women tell you different answers, though, just yeah. depending on how they've been raised. My colleague, uh, I, I was mentioning my colleague at school, that Hiva, when she mm-hmm. wears uh, her scarf at school, she ties it um, as a turban. And she said, because it's just more mm-hmm. practical to be, she is a, a paraeducator with our special ed students. And she said, it's just more practical for how she needs to move about the school. Yeah, yeah. But um, when she oh, uh, goes so out, many she'll wear it more styles. like a scarf, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot to just this morning, I was listening to this Instagram, uh, I don't know what is on Instagram, these videos, and this woman who's created this really big company, uh, for hijab which is like oh my gosh so stylish she was on she was talking about you know just business stuff but I was just man I was looking through her her I was trying to not shop while <laughs> while looking at her stuff um it's as you can do hijabi tutorials on YouTube it's it's a whole fashion which you know personally I don't really agree with that uh, the whole point is to be modest and not to kind of show yourself and and a hijab is such a deep kind of, um, I mean, if you really understand it, if you want to know what it's about, not just the scarf, but the whole philosophy of it, it is to let women be known or, or be respected for who they are, their intellect, their, their qualities, rather than how they look. And we live in a society and we always have uh, um, where women are judged by their, by, by, you know, their weight and their color and their, their, their beauty or whatever is there. And so the hijab kind of tries to take that out of the picture, you know, look at me, what I am as a person or how smart I may be or how, um, intellectual I may be or what I can do and not how I look. Um, so for me, the fashion kind of takes away from that, but again, that's, that's um, that's the diversity of it. Yes. Well, Sadia, thank you so much for talking to us on Kidlet these days and for answering all of our curiosities. And I hope you have a great year with more Yasmin out in the world and many, many more Skype visits and school visits. Yeah. Thanks yeah. again for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. All right, we're back, and um, we have brought with us a number of books that um, that discuss the hijab in different ways, that talk about uh, wearing hijab as part of your family, uh, as a child viewing a parent, uh, as, a, as a sister viewing another sister. So we want to talk about some of these really great books. Um, and I know going into this, Karina, that you also were super excited about a number of these books, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love, it's such a great time in children's literature. And the one I'm going to start off talking about won't be out for, uh, I, I believe not until September. Am I right about that? Right. Think, it's coming yeah. out September 10th. September 10th. So I should say the name of the book is The Proudest Blue, a story of hijab and family. Uh, it's written by Olympic medalist Ibtihaj Mohammed with SK Ali and the art is by Hatem Ali and his name will come up <laughs> later uh, because Hatem is, is making quite a mark in children's literature right now. But uh, in this story, uh, two sisters are getting ready to go to school for the first day of school uh, and, and the younger sister comments about that first day hijab for her older sister who's who's wearing that scarf for the first time. Um, her name is Saya, I believe. 
um, Faiza is the younger daughter's name, the younger mm-hmm. sister's name. And she's just so excited. We experienced the entire book through the younger sister's eyes, just imagining what her big sister must be going through in sixth grade. Uh, the Asaya wears this beautiful blue uh, hijab that is described as the color of blue where the sky meets the ocean. And there's some really beautiful uh, painted imagery in in this uh, book as well. Um, But then there are children on the playground that are, um, the way that Hatem illustrates them is, is almost, they're just they're just like shadows of children that um, mm-hmm. are poking fun at the sister and, and Faiza sort of questions what it means then for them to be, for them to be pushing back on this thing. That is something that she is celebrating her sister doing um, mm-hmm. and that she spent all day picturing herself wearing hijab for her first day hijab. Um, I, I found it really beautiful to have, um, these two sisters going about their day to have the constant smile reassuring the younger sister, the constant smile on Asaya's face reassuring her younger sister um, that that not only of her confidence, but just of how proud she is of wearing hijab to school. Um, that was something that was modeled for that younger sister that, that clearly then resonates in Faiza as she um, continues throughout her day. There were just a lot of moments like that, a lot of beats in this story that I felt like um, reminded all of the people around. You know, I'm seeing myself in the people around these two sisters um, and seeing the person that I can be beside these children. Um, and and I feel like that's that's one of the the strengths of this book is just the way it envelops everyone and gives everyone a space in this book to stand beside, to be an ally and to just be a friend and, and ask questions and show love and respect and, and try to stamp out the hate of, of those people in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really love the opening page of this book. There's a scene in the house and the mother is wearing a job and um, Asiya is pointing at sort of the scars that are lining the the wall and pointing at the one that she wants to wear. And it's just like a very beautiful and personal peek into their house. And I really like that. There was also another line that um, is toward the end that says, Asiya's hijab is like the ocean and the sky, no line between them, saying hello with a loud wave. I thought that was really beautiful. And I um, was really interested in hearing more about this author because she is um, an Olympian. She's a fencer. And so I Googled her name. Um, I love the Olympics. I just I just think the Olympics is so awesome. And I became aware of her at the last Olympics. And today, when I was prepping for this episode, I looked her up again, just to um, get more information about her life. And there's this really funny interview that she does with Stephen Colbert. (laughs) Have you seen that? No, but I'm gonna I'll make sure I link to it in our show notes. Yes, it's very funny. And there's just a very beautiful joy about her when she's being interviewed. And I really loved hearing um, her speak about 
why she wears a hijab because Stephen Colbert asks her. And um, not to spoil anything if you are going to see the interview, but they do face off. <laughs> um, they do a little uh, fence off. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's pretty hilarious. Anyways, I thought that was wonderful. And I love this book and I cannot wait for it to um, be out in it's the world. It's gorgeous, right? The, the one more note before we move on. I know we have to move on. But the fact that when they're shopping for hijab, um, neither of the sisters are wearing hijab because that right, because the yeah. because um, Asaya is shopping for her first hijab and um, Iftihaj notes in her her back matter the note on the back matter this is a hijab is something that you wear and as Sadia said something that you wear when you come of age or that you choose to wear mm-hmm. when you come of age and so the two girls um, are not wearing hijab. Um, and so you get that shot of of Faiza looking up to her sister, smiling. And then on the page turn, the the text reads, Asaya comes out of the house and I stop. It's the most beautiful first day of school ever. And that mm-hmm. line is fully pouring on beauty for her sister, for her big sister. Come on. That is awesome. Love it's that. It's really awesome. <laughs> so good. Um, okay, so our next book is also a picture book. It's called Under My Hijab, and this was written by Henna Khan, illustrated by Aliyah Jalil. And I really love this book. It um, sort of runs through a whole family who wears hijab, and um, the grandmother wears it clasped under her chin. The auntie pins her up, pins hers up with a beautiful brooch, and another one, another woman. Um, puts it under a sun hat when she hikes and another person in the family will style hers to match her outfit and then there's a young girl who's observing these six women in her life each who wear hijab in a different way in a unique way and she also thinks about the day that she'll wear her own hijab and the other thing I really liked about this is that it would show all the women wearing hijab, but then it would show them at home too, um, and then without a hijab, um, because then often when you're at home, that's when you when you take off your hijab and um, you see your hair, and so that is, I think, a really cool thing to have in a picture book as well. And I really loved this book. I thought it was beautifully written, and. I thought the illustrations were also quite beautiful and also showing how people can express themselves in different ways wearing hijab. And it was also a beautiful book about contemporary Muslim women and just how important family is and their pride in their, in their faith and in wearing hijab. So I really like this one. Matthew, you read this, right? I did too. And I liked that, that it was an observation, a child's observation of all of the other women in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's always that perspective for me of how the child is taking in their world and what interpretations of their world they're making, what observations and interpretations. And I think under my hijab does a really beautiful job of, of, sort of recognizing that it's it's the same the same but different right that right. that these women are all wearing hijab for as an expression of their religion 
but they are choosing to wear it at different times and in different ways uh, that, that, that suits them and that right. suits the, the situation. Yeah. Right. It feels, it gets to that idea that this is a very personal thing. Um, yeah. Can I share the next book? Because in this, it's another one of those child perspectives. There's a, a picture book that came out last year called Mommy's Kimar. And that's by uh, Jamila Tompkins Bigelow. And Ebony Glenn was the illustrator. And uh, and a Kimar is another name for a hijab. Uh, in this story, there's a, a young Muslim girl who spends the, the, the duration of the story just admiring her mom's beautiful hijab the whole closet full of, of different ones of every color and pattern. Um, and how she likes to imagine um, when her mommy wears her hijab, that she's wrapping her up like a bird or, or um, that she's a superhero when she wears her mommy's kimar or that she's all these different things. So it's a child holding that headscarf and experimenting with it herself. Um, mm-hmm. But it does have that tie in as well to, uh, attending mosque actually it has a tie-in to to families with different religions because the um, grandmother if I remember right in the story yep. is Christian mm-hmm. um, but yep. it, it shows too then that at the end of the day mommy takes off her kimar um, I, I think saving that space for a child to play and be curious as well and and um, play with the headscarf in their way but know that it holds a significance um, to mommy for that special reason and that it will hold a significance to her as well um, is something that I, I think is telling this story a little differently than the other two books were. And I think I appreciate that most of all these books is that they're all telling this story a little bit differently um, as I think all of these authors are expressing a little different experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's also this section in this book where um, the little girl is talking about when her mom's away, she likes to take the kimar and wrap it around her and smell it. And it feels like her mom is there. Oh, it smells and, like her hair. Yeah, it's just so sweet. And then there's this other section where she is wearing her mom's kimar and the older woman in the mosque are just sort of like fawning over her and giving her all this attention and admiring her. And it's very, it's just very sweet. And it, you know, like you said, it just shows this very personal relationship and the way that this young girl is, is seeing the Kamar and how it connects her to her mother and to this group of women who love her and share faith and, her mom, mom, which is what she calls her grandmother. So I thought it was super sweet. The books or the book series we're going to talk about next um, is by the guest of our show, Sadia Faruqi, and it's illustrated by Hatem Ali, who is the illustrator, as I mentioned earlier, of the Proudest Blue. In the Meet Yasmin series, um, these books are coming out from Capstone four at a time, and so we've already, I think, there's eight released, and by June they'll be the next four will be twelve. Um, and you can purchase them in a in a set of four or in libraries. Uh, we often purchase them separately bound so that you know children can check out one book at a time. And it sort of reads more like a picture book, but but it's a picture book with chapters. I've got mm. like a mini chapter book, but um, <laughs> yes. right because it's sort of because it's sort of like four vignettes yeah. broken into chapters. Um, right. And this 
this series, I think why we picked it is really more that it just centers on a Muslim family. And it doesn't, it, it's what I value so much about this um, is that it's, it's, it's a charismatic girl just being a kid. And we get to see what her home life looks like. And that's the glimpse of what, what it's like to have a family that might not look like yours have a family home life that mimics yours in a lot of different ways, whether or not the food looks the same or the dress looks the same. Uh, I love that Yasmin is so centered on her family and on her family's traditions, but also on what it means to be a kid and to be curious and to get lost in a park and not know where your mom is or to enter a painting into an art show or just any of these things that are that are just kid things. I like this book because it just, it's not a book um, iconizing the hijab or, or her Muslimness. It's just a kid. And mm-hmm. I think there's, it's so important to make sure we save space for showing all children as kids. I agree. And I think this book is um, super funny and, you know, she's just very, um, she has a ton of energy and um, you can see that in the illustrations too, which I think are beautifully done. And yeah, it's just a funny, sweet story about a young girl who gets in trouble and learns things. And yeah, I really liked it. Um, I like that the art kind of has like a, a manga quality to it too. So this author, um, or sorry, the illustrator, he is also the illustrator of the Newbery Award, Newbery Honor winner, Inquisitor's Tale. Yeah, in addition to Um, with with um, Adam Gidwitz, there's there's yeah the Unicorn Rescue Society series is also illustrated by Hatem. Right. Yeah. So he's. He's been busy. <laughs> His art He's is awesome, and you can see it in a lot of places. Yes. So, okay, so we have one more book. This one is a middle grade book, and it is called Other Words for Home by Jasmine Warga. And this has not yet come out. It's coming out soon, though, May 28th from Balzer and Bray. It already has four starred reviews, which is pretty awesome. Um, it's It starts in Syria, and it centers around a girl named Jude. And um, there's a lot of conflict happening in Syria. And Jude and her mom um, think that it's uh, – well, her mom – her parents think it's a good idea for Jude to leave Syria due to all the conflict. And so she has to – leave Syria with her mom and leave her older brother and her father behind. And they go to Cincinnati where her uncle, which is her mother's brother lives. And, you know, it's a huge change culturally and language wise. And um, Jude is feeling a little unprepared for being in this completely new culture and living in this huge house and the way people dress and what they eat and how they speak. And also she's sort of dealing with how people perceive her as um, someone from Syria. And it's a really beautiful story. It's written in verse. So that is something that I really liked about it. And I loved just 
um, the way that the author portrays Jude and coming to a new country and all the different things she has to learn. And what I also appreciated about this in terms of the hijab is that there is a moment where she starts wearing hijab. And so I think that is a beautiful way to introduce readers who might not know anything about hijab to read this book and learn more about that moment where the main character puts on the hijab for the first time, why she does it, and the reactions around her, the reactions of her father when she when he sees her on Skype wearing hijab for the first time. And I thought that moment really blew me away. And I'm excited for this book to be out and for readers to meet Jude and to hear her story. That sounds awesome. I'll have to check that out. And for for our listeners with all of these different book recommendations made, um, as well as the articles that we referred to, and I'm giggling because I'm picturing the Stephen Colbert video that we will be linking as well. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you check out our show notes at bookriot.com slash listen. We'll have links to absolutely everything mentioned so that you don't miss a thing. Um, we also are always welcoming your recommendations for future episodes. Uh, if you've listened f- since the start, we've talked about the border wall and immigration. We talked about artifacts in African-American history. Today we talked about the hijab. Um, we want to know what you want us to talk about next. What's on your mind? What do you hear kids talking about? What is concerning you uh, or just exciting you? We want to talk. So you can tweet to us or email us at kidlitthesedays.com at bookriot.com. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast and always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find us. You can find me, Karina Yan Glazer, on Twitter at Karina Yan Glazer and on Instagram at Karina is reading and writing. And you can find me, Matthew Winner, on Twitter at at Matthew Winner, and on Instagram at Matthew C. Winner. If you have a story idea, please reach out to us on social media or email us at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. We're going to watch for your email. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to see next on the show. May your coming days be storied, and may those good stories keep on coming. See you next week. 